Back in 1937, a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien finished a book called The Hobbit. And uh, to, to the surprise of many, this children's novel was, was a smash hit. And lots of people just bought it and read it. And the publisher came back to Tolkien and said, hey, the public wants to hear more about these things called hobbits. And he was kind of frustrated because he didn't feel like he had anything else to say about hobbits. And so he said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to say about them, but I have written some other stuff about this place called Middle Earth, and there's no hobbits there or whatever, but here's what I've written. And so the publisher pushes back and says, that's great, you know, we just need you to incorporate some hobbits into the story somehow. And so he started to write, and he was excited initially about the whole project, and by that next Christmas, he had finished the first chapter, and and you know the story, how it goes when you're trying to make something stick and create something. Like, life gets difficult. Life gets busy. And so he had some distractions in his life. He had some personal problems. He had some personal illnesses come up. And the project start, started and stopped and started and stopped. And that process went on for quite some time. By his own admission, he said that the project turned, and, turned from a labor of love to a nightmare. And he gave up several times on the whole project itself. How did he ever finish what we've come to now, you know, embrace and appreciate called the Lord of the Rings? How did he ever finish that? Such an interesting story. One word. Friendship. He had this friend, his name was C.S. Lewis. I don't know, he wrote the little series called The Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody ever heard of it? Mere Christianity, anything like that? And it was because of his friendship with C.S. Lewis that Tolkien was able to finish what we've come to now know and embrace as the Lord of the Rings. Listen to what Tolkien said. He said, only by his support and friendship did I ever struggle to the end of the labor. Listen. But for his interest and unceasing eagerness for more, I should have never brought the Lord of the Rings to a conclusion. 150 million copies later. <laughs> oh, just shy of $6 billion in terms of you know, money, rate, money purchased uh, to, to see the movies. Here we sit. How many of you have in, read or seen the movies The Lord of the Rings? Wow. Unbelievable. How, that almost didn't happen. How did he bring it to a conclusion? Friendship. I would argue and others would argue that you and I are in the same boat. That when it comes to creating lasting change or making it stick or following through, we need the help of a person. Do you agree with this? We're wrapping up a series today called Making It Stick. And whatever campus you're joining us at, the Banta Franklin, Greenwood Campus, Online Campus, even our Johnson County Jail microsite, we want to welcome you. Can we give it up for everybody watching today? So excited to be here with you. If you've been tracking with us in the series, we've been talking about this concept that, hey, in the beginning of the year, we all get real excited about making changes in our life. We set New Year's resolutions, but six weeks into the year, 80% of us kind of give up and fold and we fail to follow through. What can we do about that? Well, we could become part of the half of Americans that just don't even bother to set resolutions. Like, I'm not even going to mess with it. Or we can figure out how to actually learn how to follow through and make the changes stick in our lives and create lasting change. 
And I would argue that that's the right perspective. And how do we do that? Well, if you were here with us week one, we said you have to have a compelling vision, right? Without a vision, we perish. Week number two, we talked about being consistent or taking consistent action by building new habits into your life. Last week, we talked about the third principle, which is that you have to have the right identity, right? You cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way you view yourself. And today, I want to wrap things up by talking about this principle of friendship. We make it stick, in your notes there, we make it stick with the help of the right people in our life. King Solomon, one of the wisest people to ever live, wrote about this in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 9. He said this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. I mean, this is common sense. Like, you can do more with someone helping you than you can do alone. Like, you can accomplish more in life if you have someone else assisting you in your life. Recently, I picked up a book called The Power of the Other by Henry Cloud. He's famous for a book called Boundaries. He wrote many years ago. He's also written a book called Integrity, another one called Nine Things You Simply Must Do. He's got great material. I love the subtitle of this book, The Startling Effect of Other People, The Other People Have on You, From the Boardroom to the Bedroom and Beyond, and What You Need to Do About It. The Power of the Other. It's a study on the people in our lives and the influence they have on us. He, he, he shares this story about when he was in college. He was studying to be a finance, uh, finance and accounting person, and that was his major. And because of some life events that took place, he switched his major to psychology, and he became passionate about helping people to figure out their problems and get through and have breakthroughs and figure things out. And so he just went all in and studied everything he can get, get his hands on uh, when it came to psychology. And when he was in graduate school and uh, finishing up his degree, one of his professors gave a lecture. And he talks about it because it was a very discouraging moment in his life. And the lecture was all about, you know, the analysis of all the data and all the research about what actually, at the end of the day, helps people to change and have a breakthrough in their life. And so he's there, you know, he's taking notes and all of his classmates are taking notes. And this is what, this is the information he wants to know because he wants to help people change. And he'll never forget it. He said, the professor looked at the students and said, here's what the research and all the data shows. A person changes because of the relationship between psychologists and client. He said he wanted to quit. He almost, whacked, he, he almost went back to finance and accounting because what he realized in that moment was that he didn't want to be a, quote, rent-a-friend. You know what I'm talking about? People paying money to have a friend. He was so discouraged. He wanted to go back to finance. He wanted to go back to accounting, but he didn't. He plunged through and he became a great psychologist and great author. And he's helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But the information and the science backs up what the Bible said thousands of years ago. Listen to what he says in his book. Science confirms that getting to the next level is 100% dependent upon what? Relationship, but not just any kind of relationship. Listen to what he says. But the relationship must be the right kind of relationship, more than just the pals that you hang out with on Friday night. Now, you know who they are, right? Those are the people that are attracted to you or you're attracted to because they simply like you. We all have them in our life. We all gravitate towards them. Maybe they're fellow students in our classes or coworkers at work or people, you know, around you, wherever you go. Not those people. He's talking about the people that you hand-select because you desire to go where they're going. The right kinds of people. Our success is dependent upon them. The Bible says it. The latest research shows it and reveals it. 
And now we just have to deal with it. That's a principle that can either help us or hurt us. How does it work? How does it, like, why is that true? If it's true, which I believe it is, how does that actually, why do people help us to make it stick or help us to get to the next level? What are the ins and outs of that? I think there are four reasons why that's true or how the, that show how that worked. The first one is the right people help us because we, we steal their habits. We pick up the good habits from the right people. Like, we, they rub off on us. Have you ever noticed this, like, that God has created us this way? Like, we copy and, and steal the habits of the people around us. It's just, how, it's just how God created us. It's the whole dynamic of families. Families are supposed to influence each other. This is why, like, some of you have realized now that you're older that, that you do things in similar ways that your parents did. You never thought you would. You've even said, I'll never do it like my mom. And now you're like, I can't believe I respond like my mother does. Or I can't believe that I do deal with life the way my dad's dealing with it. Why? Why is that true? Because we pick up the habits of the people around us. We're sort of like copy machines. In, in the book Atomic Habits, which I've been referencing in this series by James Clear, this is what he said. He said, as a general rule, the closer we are to someone, the more likely we are to imitate their habits. That's just true of you, and it's true of me. This is why some of you, you know, started smoking in high school, because you had some people around you who were doing what? Smoking. Like, there's a big epidemic right now among high school students, this thing called vaping, right? It's like all the students are vaping, and it's like, I don't know, cool, why, why are so many students doing it? Because they have friends who are doing it. Like, this isn't rocket science. So if you've got a kid who's vaping, like, you get their friends out of their life. Like, we, like, we pick up the habits of the people around us. This is why some of you, you know, jumped off a cliff when you were younger, or you bungee jumped, or you jumped out of an airplane, because you had, look, you, you weren't alone. You know what I'm talking about? You were with someone when that happened. Like, when I go home to visit my family in New York, within a couple of hours, I'm talking like a New Yorker. Like, I'm thirsty, where's the water? <laughs> Can you please pass the butter? I don't have any butter on my roll. Then my wife says, you're talking like your brothers. What are you talking about? I pick it up and I start to talk just like them because we pick up the habits of the people closest to us. We just, it just, it's just the way that we are. Sometimes I'll be, this is kind of fun. I, I shouldn't do this, but, it's now, but I do because it's, it's fun for me. I'm sitting with somebody and, and in a one-on-one -on -one situation and sometimes I'll just fold my arms. And within a matter of seconds, what do you think the other person does? They fold their arms. It's so much fun. Sometimes I'm sitting there with them and, and I'll just, I, I, I just, because I'm in a person, in a personal communication, and all that stuff, I'll just cross my legs like this. And within minutes, within seconds, sometimes they, they'll lean back. It tickles me because, because with what, this is just what we do. I smile. Guess what? When I smile at people, what do you think they do back? They smile at me. It's so much fun. Like you, like people, that's just the way that God has made us. And it works for, the good, for our good or for the bad. Listen to what King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13. He said, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Of course that's true. If you run around with a bunch of wise people who make wise decisions with their finances and their relationship and their sexuality, well, guess what? You're going to make really wise decisions with your finances and your relationships and your sexuality. I mean, it's just the way it goes. On the other hand, the companion of a fool, someone who makes foolish choices will suffer harm. Why? Because you will start to make the same foolish choices they make. 
What? With your finances, with your sexuality, with all these different areas of your life. And you will eventually suffer harm. Because that's what happens when you make foolish choices. We become like the people we run with. So the right people come into our lives and we start to copy their choices, their behaviors, their thought patterns. Jim Rohn, the, the personal development expert, said it this way. You are the average of the five closest people to you. It's just true. Why? Because you pick up on their habits. So if I'm going to make a stick, i got to find people that are headed in the same direction that I'm headed, that, that have the same vision, that, that maybe have already accomplished that vision. I need them in, mer- in my life if I want to see my vision accomplished, and so do you. We pick up on their habits. Number two, we draw strength from the right people. We draw strength from the right people. There is real, tangible strength in other people. Henry Cloud tells this incredible story in the book, The Power of the Other, of his brother-in-law, Mark. Mark was a Navy SEAL. He died in action in Iraq, so he's not with us anymore. But when, after he passed away, all of these people came out of the woodwork to tell the family about what an awesome guy Mark was. One of those guys, was, his name was Bryce. That's not his real name, but that's the name that he gives in the book. He was also a Navy SEAL. And he told the family, he said, hey, I, I just got to tell you this, this, this thing that happened with, with me and Mark. It was, it was at the end of Hell Week. And if you know anything about Navy SEAL, they, they go into this crazy training period. It's like the hardest, most difficult you know, position in all military, arguably, maybe the Army Rangers or some others like that. But the elite of the elite of the elite you know, go into the, to become a Navy SEAL. And, and they go through this one week in particular called Hell Week where they're pushed to the absolute limits with no sleep and very little food. And they're exhausted and they're wet and they've got sand all over them. They're carrying both of other heads, logs in their arms. It's just a terrible, terrible week. And, and most of the guys quit during hell week, right? Two, two out of two thirds of the guys. Well, this guy Bryce is telling the story about how he's on his last swim for the day on the last day of hell week and his body just goes out. He just can't go anymore. He's completely exhausted. Cannot, cannot swim to the shoreline. And he's about to signal, you know, give the signal like, I'm done. I'm going to ring the bell and I'm, I'm quitting. I can't make it. And in that moment, as he felt his body sinking in the water, he locked eyes with a guy on the shore that had already made it to the sand. It was Mark. And Mark was on the edge of the shore saying, come on, Bryce, come on, you can do it. Keep swimming, keep going. And he could see his lips and, he can, and they locked eyes. And Bryce said, in the water, off the shore, something happened inside of his body. He said he felt an energy come up inside of him and he started to swim again and he had energy and he made it to the shore and he passed that that test that week and he got through hell week and eventually became a seal. And he said it was because of the strength I took from Mark. That's the power of the other in our lives. We, we gain real, tangible strength and power from other people in our lives. It reminds me of the story of King David before he became king. King Saul was in charge, right? The prophet Nathan told David he was gonna be the next king. Saul found out about it and he became a, a jealous rage, tried to kill David. He was chasing David, had David on the run, had his army pursuing David. David's in the wilderness, fearing for his life, running for his life, discouraged, down, out of energy. What does God do? God sends him a friend, a person. Why not send a message directly from heaven, like an audible voice, like it's going to be okay? That would have worked. Why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't he do that in your life? Why doesn't he do that in my life? That would be awesome, right? If we could hear the audible voice of God from time to time when we're struggling. No. Instead, he sends a friend. Listen, 1 Samuel 23. Jonathan went to David. A friend went to David. 
and encouraged him to do what? To say it with me, to stay strong in his faith. That's what I need. That's what you need. We need somebody to come alongside of us and say, keep going, keep swimming. You can do it. You can make it. Keep pushing. You have what it takes. Energy comes into our bodies and we keep pushing on. That's the way God has made me and that's the way God has made you. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, King Solomon said this, worry weighs a person down. You could say stress weighs a person down. You could say hard times weigh a person down. You can say difficulties or a valley or the wilderness weighs a person down. We talked about that recently in the past. But an encouraging word, what happens? What happens when a friend comes into our life and says, hey, hang in there. You can do it. What happens? It cheers us up. Lifts our spirit. A couple months ago, I was having a, a difficult week, a couple of difficult days, and I got this little note in my mailbox little thank you note. I've never even met, I don't really know who this person is, but her name is Noelle. She writes, Dear Pastor Danny, I've only talked to you about three times in person. I guess I should know who she is. But let me tell you how exciting each one of those short conversations has been. You've managed to make me feel loved by you by you just being or having a smile on your face. I can't wait to hear more of God's word through you. Your ability to fulfill God's purpose for you inspires me to do the same. Thank you for being such a huge inspiration to my life. Love, Noel. You know, it's just, it was just a note in my mailbox and I kept it. Because in that moment... You know, sometimes you just kind of get down or life gets hard or something happens. You think, man, is it worth it? Struggle. And, and when I read that, it was like, oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. Keep loving people. Keep investing. Keep going. Keep pushing. Keep trying. Keep helping. That's the power of other people in our lives. That we, we pick up on their habits and we draw strength for them. But also, number three. The right people, guess what they do? They bring new information to our lives. We discover new information from the right people. We, what you don't know can hurt you. <laughs> when you go at it alone, you're missing things. When you're trying to push through life by yourself, you don't have all the insight. You don't have all the wisdom. You don't have all the knowledge. You don't have all the skill. Where is that information? Where is that knowledge? Where is that skill? It's in other people. I remember when I was a youth pastor many years ago, uh, I was also a brand new husband. I was also a brand new father. Brand new youth pastor. All, everything's new in my life. Trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out how to be a good husband. My concept of being a husband at that particular time was you need to be a strong leader. You need to know what you're doing. You need to be clear. You know, the Bible says the husband's the head of the wife. He's the leader. Got to be strong. Got to be courageous. You got to be bold. You know, my concept was discipline, go, I know what I'm doing, follow me, I'm in charge. How do you think that went in the first couple of years of marriage? <laughs> but boy, I was, sure, I was sure fired up about it. I had a friend of mine who was about 60 at that time, kind of, and I was in my early 20s. He kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, let's, let's talk. 
come over to my house, we'll chat. And, All right, that's great. We started to talk about not just being a good husband, a lot of different things, but we really did focus in on, you know, what does it look like to be a godly husband? And I had was I had, didn't have a great example of, of a God. I had a great dad, but didn't, not a Christian husband in, my, in the home. Uh, so I was finger, figuring it out on my own, you know, based on what I was reading or whatever. And, and he began to show me some different concepts about what it looks like to be a, a godly man. And this man was a godly man. He was a godly husband. I respected him. So I was like very open to what he had to say. And he started talking to me about different passages in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands loving their wives and what does that mean for, for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church and he laid his life down for, for the church in the same way the husband is to lay his life down for his wife. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's, you know servanthood and, and all this stuff. And then he started talking about this, the, these words called uh, gentleness and tenderness. Now, as the youngest of two, two uh, three boys, uh, there was not a lot of gentleness and tenderness in my life. There was a lot of beatdowns and a lot of wrestling matches and a lot of contests. Let's just put it that way. And so when he started talking about gentleness and tenderness, I was like, I, I pushed back. It's like, you know, I don't think that's very manly. I, like, I equate those words with, with females. Anybody else? Gentleness, tenderness, feminine, synonyms. No? Okay, so that was my concept. I remember one time my wife said, oh, you have sensitive skin because I was getting a rash under my neck. I was like, I do not have sensitive skin. There's nothing sensitive about me. Stop saying sensitive. Don't say sensitive about me. I'm not sensitive. I was being sensitive. <laughs> and so he started talking to me about, about uh, he started talking to me about this, how gentleness was actually a sign of strength. And I was like, I couldn't get my brain around that. That was new information to me. He said, just trust me, you, like, you need to be tender and gentle with your wife. So I'm like, oh, you show me different Bible verses. Okay, you know. I started to work on that with Jackie. Man, I saw my wife start to come alive. I saw her respond to me in ways I'd never seen before. Our marriage went from, you know, maybe a four to, a, to like an eight. Just because I started to be tender and gentle with her. Turns out those words are not equivalent with weak or feminine. They're, 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 they're equivalent to strength. It's changed my life. How'd that happen? This man came into my life with new information. Changed me. Here's what the scriptures say. Again, let's, let's quote Solomon, ready? Plans go wrong when you do it alone for lack of advice. When you try to plunge full, I, can, I know how to be a husband. I know how to do this. I know how to, I'll, I'll figure it out on my own. That's when things go wrong. Why? Because you lack the information and the necessary skills and knowledge. Well, watch this. Many advisors bring success. Why? Because you don't know it all. I don't know it all. So we bring the right people into our life and they, they fill in the gaps and we say, oh, I didn't see it that way. And, and, then, and then our lives go to the next level and we're, we're able to make it stick or create that lasting change. And so we got to get around the right people that have done what we're trying to do. Remember, this goes back to the compelling vision. What is the vision that you created this year? Well, you got to get around the right people that have maybe that are already have already done that or are doing that and then pull from their habits and pull strength from them and get insight from them. And then Number four, why else do, does, do the right people help us? Well, they, they hold us accountable. We're held accountable by the right people. When my mom used to cook a steak when I was a little boy, my dad would always go get his knife. And she, maybe it was a, a piece of chicken, a piece of steak, or whatever it was. And, and, and he would always go grab his knife, and about 10 minutes, 10 minutes before the meal, he would just start doing this. 
And as a little boy, I, I just was fascinated with that. You know, just, he'd start to sharpen his knife. And I'd just sit there and watch it, just the sound. And some of you are thinking, you're going to cut your finger off. And I might, I might. <laughs> I've, done, I've cut myself on this stage before. <laughs> but I used to watch. It's so fun. I love this. I don't know why. And then when the meal would come out, he'd take his knife, he'd wipe it down and clean it up, and, and then he would, he would cut that steak or whatever, that piece of meat, and it would just, be, it would just go right through like warm butter. It's like, oh, nice. <laughs> Listen to Solomon. As iron sharpens iron. So the job of a friend, the right friend, not your pals, not your girlfriends you go dancing with, although that might include one or two there. <laughs> Not the people that gravitate towards you because they like you or they accept you as you are. Not those folks. The right person sharpens you as a friend. In the same way the knife becomes more effective in cutting, you become more effective, you become more effective in your relationships. The tool gets better because of the, of the sharpening instrument. You being a tool. Yes, I just called you a tool in church. Never forget it. You are a tool. <laughs> you get better if you have the right person sharpening you. How? How's that? How does that work? Well, through accountability. Through accountability. The word accountable means to, to, to hold somebody Accountable, to, to call them to answer, to, to make them answerable, to call them to account for what they said they were going to do. That, and we love this world word when it comes to like public figures like the president or Congress or, or the school board. Like we need to hold them accountable, right? We love it. We love it for public people. Like somebody needs to hold them accountable and we'll pick it and we'll have signs. But then when the word is turned around on us, ooh, we don't like it. Mm -mm, we, do not, we do not want to be held accountable. Some of you know I've been trying to write a book for like 10 years. You'll see me in public and you'll say, hey, how's the book coming? And I'm thinking in my mind, shut your face. <laughs> Leave me alone. Now, I don't say that, but I feel it. Because all I really want to do is dream. I, I love to dream of what would it be like, you know, the beginning of the year to write a book and be an author. But don't you dare hold me accountable. And if you're honest, that's where you're at too. I love to be in shape. I love to start the business, learn the language, go to the different country, go on the mission trip, whatever. But then when someone comes behind you and says, hey, how's that going? You said you were going to lose the 20 pounds. You said you were going to learn the language. You said you were going to start the business. You said you were going to go home each night at 5.30. Are you doing it? Shh, shh, shh. Don't, don't, don't do that to me. Why? I don't know why. Because really, the right person has your best interests at heart. The right person comes into your life and holds you accountable because they want you to be successful. C.S. Lewis held J.R.R. Tolkien accountable, and the world's never been the same. You see what happens when a friend comes on board and says, come on, let's go, you can do it. See, this year, the, the reason I have more hope than ever this year I'm going to write a book is because I actually have somebody that's holding me accountable. First time ever, 
They gave me two deadlines. One was this Wednesday, one was two Wednesdays ago. I've made both deadlines. Amen about that. I have reason to have hope. And you can hope with me because I have accountability now when it comes to the vision that I believe God has for me. And the same works for you. Iron sharpens iron as one person, as a friend sharpens a friend. That's how it works. We need other people in our lives. Why? Because we draw from their good habits. We copy their good habits. They give us tangible strength, real strength for life. They bring insight and wisdom and knowledge into our life, and they hold us accountable. Here, let me sum it up in your notes like this. No person can become and do all that God has planned for them without the right people. Just mark it down. No one gets there by themselves. It's the way it works. It's the way God has made you. Two are better than one because they can help each other succeed. Do you believe this? You have to have the right people in your life. Let me, let me wrap this series up this way. What we've said is that most people give up on the resolutions and the vision within the first six weeks of the year. If you want to make it stick, if you want to avoid being part of that 80%, you have to have a compelling vision. You have to be consistent through new habits. You have to have the right identity and see yourself the right way. And you have to have the right people in your life. Can I ask you this question today as we wrap up? Are you surrounded by the right people? Do you have one person in your life that can bring that strength, that, can, that has great habits in their life that you can copy, that, that, you, that brings insight that you need into your life, that can sharpen you and hold you accountable? I've heard it said, friends are like an elevator. They'll take you up and they'll take you down, but they will never leave you at the same level. Are you surrounded by the right people? I've heard it said that, that, you, that the friends in your life dictate the quality and direction of your life. Do you have the right people in your life? Are you surrounded by them? I've heard it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Are you surrounded by the right people? Are there people in your life you need to begin to distance yourself from? Who's that person you need to bring into your life to help you make it stick this year? This is serious business. It's a reality. It's either, this principle is either gonna kick your butt or it's gonna bless you but it will do one or the other. As I close today, I was thinking about how I made it to this position in my life. I'll be 42 this summer. I lead an incredible staff of people that now influences had, uh, ministers to four campuses, thousands of people. This launched a podcast recently. I've got a blog that people are reading, trying to help people. Amazing. My life is, I've got this beautiful wife with these three great kids. How did I get to this spot where I can pastor this church? And you know, I traced it all the way back this week to one person. One person in my life. And that person, some of you know who it is. This is my mother. Because as a little boy, each night before we would go to bed, she would... She would come into, in the, into the bedroom and she would tuck us in and most nights she would kneel down. Sometimes she would get in bed with us until we fell asleep. But it was just a short prayer she would say and she'd pray for the day, pray for my dad, pray for what's going on in, in our lives. And then we would have a short discussion sometimes if I had a question about God. And I remember one particular night, not even sure if she'll remember this, but I was trying to understand like the size of God. Ever, ever try to get your brain wrapped around the size of God as a little kid? It's like, how big is he? And my mom looked at me and she said, you know, Danny, 
he can hold a school bus in his hand. And, and it, you know, as in my little brain, I'm thinking, I ride the school bus every day. It's, it's a big, big bus, huge bus. He can hold it in his hand. I just remember thinking, wow, he's big. He's real big. You know, those conversations, conversations like that, planted seeds in my life to be open to faith. And at the age of 17 years old, I was finally made a decision to say, God, I'm gonna turn my life over to you. And that decision led me to take a position here at this church as a youth pastor and eventually become the senior pastor. How did I get here today? One person that God used in my life. How about you? How did you get here today? Why are you watching online or sitting in the Bandit campus or Franklin campus or the Greenwood campus? How did you get here today? And I know all of us are on different journeys with God. Some of us are believers, some of us are not believers. But how, how did you get to a spot where you're being talked to about spiritual things? Isn't it because there was a person somewhere in your past that said, hey, you need to consider the Bible, consider church, consider spiritual things, consider Jesus. Am I right? Yes or no? Like, or did you do it by yourself? We all have a person, two people that have influenced us. And some of you are here today, you're not believers, but the reason you're here, you haven't made a decision yet to put your faith in Christ, but the reason you're here is because somebody, a friend, a coworker, a parent, a, a sibling, a brother, a sister has said, hey, why don't you come? Why don't you consider and be open to God and Jesus and spiritual things? And so you're here today and you're watching today. And here was their hope, that person in your life, they were hoping that you would hear the next few things I'm gonna say. God loves you. And he's created you to be in a relationship with sin destroys the opportunity for us to be in a relationship with God. But God did something about that sin. He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die on a cross, to die in your place, to take the penalty of sin so that you didn't have to pay, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could become his child, so that you could be in a relationship with him. Jesus said one time, these are his words, Greater love has no man than this, than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. And then he did it. He laid down his life for you. If you've ever wondered how God has felt about you, I wonder, does he hate me? Does he, is he distant? Does he know who I am? Wonder no more. He loves you. And he created you to receive that love and be in a relationship with him. And he proved it by having his son die on the cross from you, for you. What will you do with that? Well, when I heard that message, when the right person, my mother, put me in a position to hear that message, I was a goner. Like, me? God loves me? Does he know about my lies? Does he know about my theft? Does he know about my selfishness? Does he know about my anger? Does he know about how I've treated people? Yeah, 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 he knows it all. And he still loves you. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, not when we got our stuff cleaned up, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He sees it all 
and he says, I love you. What would you do with that? Here's what I did. I just reached out and said, I receive it. Jesus, I believe in you. Will you take that step today? Will you trust Christ today? I'm going to say a simple prayer. Take this prayer, make it your own, and trust Christ today, and you will become his child. Will you pray? Jesus, I put my faith in you today. I put my trust in you today. I believe you died in my place on the cross to pay for my sin, to pay the penalty. Wash me of my sin today. Cleanse me and make me your child. From this day forward, be my leader, be my master, be my guide. Teach me to follow, to obey, and to honor you with every part of my life. I trust you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, our church would love to celebrate with you, wouldn't we, guys? Come on, nice and loud across all of our campuses. It's the best decision you'll ever make. And someone told me after I made that decision to read, begin reading the Bible. So if you did that across all of our campuses, there's a New Believers Bible we would like to put in your hands. You can grab it on the way out and the table's in the back if you trusted Christ today. If you did it online, there's a little place there that you can check that says, I trusted Christ. Put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail as well. One more time, can we give God glory, guys? Amen, nice and loud, come on. I'm gonna invite everybody right now across all of our campuses to stand to your feet. I wanna close out with a little worship. I think there's no better way to worship, to close the service than to worship God. And after we're done worshiping our God, we have one more special announcement for you. God bless you guys.